Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 50. Hi, I'm Mark Satterfield, author of the One Week Marketing Plan. And the one thing I think all successful marketers should do is to listen to this. It's the Read to Lead podcast with my friend Jeff Brown. Still looking back, wishing the world were the way that it used to be instead of embracing the way that it is and really acting in a different way so we see the opportunities for positive change. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now here's Jeff. Hi there, and welcome to the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. We sit down each week with a successful and inspiring author, talk about his or her latest book and their unique insights and expertise on things like leadership, personal development, career, marketing, business, or entrepreneurship. Today, it's career getting the emphasis. In this episode, we chat with Pamela Slim, author of Body of Work, finding the thread that ties your story together. And in this episode, Pamela is going to share how to define your body of work and specific steps you can take to begin building yours. She'll explain what she means by naming your ingredients and how to go beyond describing yourself by your job title or just the name of your degree. She'll describe her simple but effective loathing scale and how it can help determine whether it might be time to branch out on your own and a lot more. I want you to look over at that bookshelf or uh, maybe pull up the Kindle app on your mobile device and count how many business books you've yet to finish. Maybe there are even a few that you've not started yet. Well, what if each of those books, still calling your name, took just 15 minutes of your time, just 15 minutes to glean the main ideas and key insights? How many could you check off your list and how liberating would that feel? I know if you're anything like me, it would feel very liberating. And that's exactly the opportunity that our sponsor, Blinkist, provides to you. Get actionable inspiration from today's top thinkers during your commute, waiting in line, or anywhere you are. If you suffer from information overload and want an effective way to read more in less time, then you need Blinkist. And right now, they're offering to you, because you listen to this podcast, a 20% discount on an annual subscription to Blinkist. If you first want to check it out to see if it's right for you, you can sign up for their free three-day trial. Then after that, use the discount code READ to lead at checkout and get 20% off an annual subscription. Just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash Blinkist. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash Blinkist. Sign up for the free three-day trial, and if you like what you see, use the discount code READ to lead all one word, for 20% off that annual subscription. Just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash Blinkist to find out more. 
Pamela Slim is an author, speaker, and mentor in the new world of work. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. She spent the first 10 years of her solo practice as a consultant to large corporations like Hewlett-Packard, Charles Schwab, and Cisco Systems, where she worked with thousands of employees, managers, and executives. In 2005, she started the Escape from Cubicle Nation blog, which is now one of the top career and business sites on the web. She's coached thousands of budding entrepreneurs in businesses ranging from martial arts studios to software startups. Her first book, Escape from Cubicle Nation, based on that blog, won Best Small Business Book of 2009 from 800 CEO Read. Today, she's here to chat about her latest book, Body of Work, Finding the Thread that Ties Your Story Together, a book I have personally loved very, very much. Pamela, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I got to start by asking, are you like me right now and sitting on a big giant ball while you do this interview? I normally do. You know, it's funny. I uh, usually was sitting on my large red Pilates ball, which is good for my back and my core Mm. uh, and my brain, actually. It's good to bounce on the ball. But I'm sitting in a chair right now. (laughs) Tell me a little bit more about the martial arts aspect of, of your background. I thought that was pretty intriguing when I read about that. Yeah, martial arts has had a big place in my life. And from the age of 20 to about 31, I practiced capoeira, which is an Afro-Brazilian martial art uh, that combines acrobatics and music and martial arts together. And I was very intensively involved in that. At the Toward the end, I did 17 classes a week to give you a sense of my insanity. Wow. The quality <laughs> of youth. Um, but I taught at San Francisco State in the dance ethnology department with my instructor, who was from Brazil, and um, it really enjoyed it. And then when I moved here to Arizona years later, uh, my son was interested in martial arts, so I went to a martial arts school, and I immediately felt a connection with wanting to get back and train again. So I trained for a number of years and got my black belt in mixed martial arts, which mm. was really fun, kind of a different style and everything that I was used to. And uh, now, actually, since doing that, he moved away to Hawaii, and I've been more on a yoga binge, on the hot yoga, you know, being 107-degree room. Do you notice the <laughs> yeah. theme here about extreme sports? <laughs> 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 I feared at 47 and being a professional speaker, it might be good to not be doing something that would give me a broken rib or a black eye <laughs> stage in the game. Well, I and, and, and several of my guests, I think Chris Brogan, episode 21 of the Read Delete podcast, people like Kimberly Palmer, episode 29, have tossed around a phrase or an idea uh, that says the nature of work going forward is changing. And you use the phrase new world of work in your new book. And uh, I'm wondering if you can tell us what you mean by the phrase new world of work and and what it means for those of us holding down right now a regular job and and maybe sitting in a cubicle. Yeah, to me, I use that term really meaning post 2008. Mm. You know, we saw the economy go through so much uh, pain and strife and consternation. I guess it was the individuals that went through that pain and strife, but the economy certainly I think just kind of changed irrevocably for the way that it was before. And the impact of that to me is that where I've seen trends within the last 20 years, having always worked uh, first inside companies for a long period of time, uh, consulting with corporations, and then working for nine years in the startup arena, I just really noticed that there is much more instability, change and market fluctuation But also very importantly, I think there's more of a universal understanding among working folk from any work mode 
that things are not likely to stay the same, that it's not a good career strategy to just build relationship with one firm. Even if you love your job and you love the company and intend to stay there, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. And I would just say ride that wave for absolutely as long as you can. But what's probably going to be happening more in this new world of work is that companies are going to go through shifts. They're acquired, broken apart. You know, they go up, they go down. Small businesses have the same kind of thing. Nonprofits are facing all kinds of new challenges when it comes to how funding happens and how they're structured. And so I think the way we need to think about that as individuals is to just assume that instability and change is going to be the norm for all of us. And the way I like to really think about it, and it's at the heart of the premise of body of work, is learning a new set of skills that, that really allow us to be indispensable in whatever kind of work mode we are. So if you are in a corporate job and for some reason you end up getting laid off, that you don't need to be panicked because you've really thought through and you've explored what are some ways that you could make money uh, working for yourself, maybe from a temporary basis until you're able to find what would be a preferred full-time job off. Or likewise for people that have been in entrepreneurship for a long time, that may be kind of tired of hustling and always moving to make things happen, that you can feel comfortable knowing that you could tell a compelling story in order to get hired in a great company. What is our body of work as you define it in the book, both for the individual and for organizations? Your own body of work, your individual body of work is everything that you create, contribute, affect, and impact throughout the course of your life. So it's really that legacy, that footprint that you leave for everything concrete about what you've created, things like books or podcasts or software code or organizations that you built, but also relationships, everything on the human side about how it is that you've been as an individual and how you've impacted uh, your community around you. I think for organizations, the body of work is similar, but it's really what, you know, what have you actually created as an organization? What are the products and services, innovation? How have you developed your workforce? Um, A lot of people actually have a legacy and a history. I think about academic institutions in this case of really turning out a number of amazing people that really become part of their body of work, right? Or Mm. looking at somebody like Bell Labs uh, way back in the day, um, which was kind of an innovator in a place where many people that were cool inventor types, you know, went through that, had that experience of working there and then spun off and began doing really interesting things in developing tech in Silicon Valley. So what are some of the steps that I might need to take in order to begin building my body of work? If I'm, if I'm thinking about what, what my life might look like post-corporate, what are some of the steps you tell your clients to take in the early going? Yeah, and I just think it's important as we start to think about it is it doesn't have to be outside of corporate. I mean, I think people can and will continue to build really significant bodies of work in the context of working for an organization. Mm. But the, the main steps are, are first to think through what, what are your roots? What do you value? What's important to you? What do you believe? What kind of problems do you want to solve? And this really becomes your, um, your anchor so that you feel that connection of meaning and purpose of the work that you're doing. You know that it's worth doing, that it makes sense. And when you can get that kind of understanding about the kind of impact that you want to make and the kind of change that you want to make in the world through your work, that can be the great starting place. Um, even begin before you begin to think of what you actually want to build or what work mode will support you building that. The second thing is really in taking an assessment of 
what all of your ingredients are. And I use this term as opposed to things like skills because we have we do have skills, we have competencies, knowledge that we've gained through work experience and education, but we also have all kinds of experience personally related to how we grew up and what kind of hardships we faced that are things that actually can become really big strengths. They can become ingredients, things that we use mm. that will be very helpful in thinking holistically about everything that we bring to work opportunities. And I find that many people actually discount very significant parts of their their personal history by just looking at what the kinds of skills and experience that would be on a resume, right? So they may not think about, you know, growing up in um, – in a tough neighborhood and, and all the challenges that were related to that or uh, losing a loved one at a young age or sometimes things that we just try to um, get past as quickly as we can when in reality they probably shaped us very deeply and can be very significant in terms of helping us, you know, um, be strong and create great things in the work side. So that's, that's one important assessment you can do. And then it's really beginning to go down the path of defining specifically what is it that you want to create. I always, as a coach, like to think of being very pragmatic and action-oriented. So what do you want to build in the next 12 months? And if you're inside an organization, and that could include things like you might want to really focus on the path toward a promotion, or maybe you're really looking to be developing the members of your team. And one of your projects is in making sure that you're going to become a much more effective manager or leader. Or maybe this is your year to write a book or start a business, uh, whatever are this specific kind of tangible project that you can begin to work on. That's really where you then can begin to enact all of the other steps that are required for building a body of work, right? You have to build something, but using the earlier steps of really building something that's significant to you, that's tied to things that are important to you and leveraging your unique skills and strengths and ingredients that's then when you can start to enact some of the, the, the later steps, which include surrounding yourself with people who can really help you to do that job, who can help coach and mentor you and really grow a great thing so you can do it the best that you can. And then making certain determinations, depending upon what your goal is, to decide what is the, the best kind of work mode that you want to be in. You know, is this the year that you want to leave your small business and go back to work for a company? Is this the year that you're going to take early retirement and go and work for a nonprofit, um, you know, et cetera? And then I think the, the, the final really meta skill that is so important for all of us in building a body of work is really crafting the story. Any, anything significant that we want to do, if you want to get promoted, if you want people to believe and trust you as a leader, if you want to start a business, if you want to sell something, you need to be able to tell a compelling story that's really related to First, what are their needs? How can you relate to what it is that they need? And then tell the story about why you are the perfect person to be stepping into this new leadership role in your organization. I just think storytelling is such a critical skill. And I don't mean making up stories. They're not true. Big distinction. I mean telling compelling, accurate, authentic stories that actually highlight the natural strengths that you already have. I love the the metaphor you talked about, the, and, you, and you titled chapter three after it the, the naming your ingredients metaphor because we tend to stop, don't we, at just kind of describing ourselves by uh, the title of our profession or our degree or things of that nature, and, and not going uh, the step further. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it is very limiting, and and especially in 
the new world of work where people might have a variety of different interesting things that they're doing. Full-time employees have very interesting side hustles, side projects that they do. They might be very involved in their church or they might be doing amazing things um, as parents or and be involved in their community. So if you just say, I am a you know certified financial planner, that may tell just a tiny bit of your story. And in fact, you're probably selling yourself short. It's not that you leave those things off of your resume or off of your career story, um, depending upon whom you're talking to, but to really bring alive why you might be the best person for a particular function. That's where you need to be bringing in other kinds of stories, right? About how you coached your kids football team and what that meant and what you learned and, you know, all of those kinds of things. How do you suggest, Pam, we handle the unattractive or not so pleasant ingredients that are a part of the makeup for all of us, really? Yeah, we all have it. And it's funny, I think everybody thinks they're the only one who has embarrassing (laughs) experiences, bad choices behind them. Uh, Nowadays, if you're younger, unfortunate photos that have probably showed up on social media. I'm glad I'm 47 because I think I I missed all of that. (laughs) Of the unfortunate photos that are shared, they didn't even have Facebook, you know, when I was growing up. (laughs) But with these things, I I think the first step of the journey is just personally uh, coming to some kind of reconciliation where you are able to look at the experience, you're able to take responsibility for whatever poor choice it was or hardship. Um, You're able to grieve if there's something terrible that happened with you, which happens to many people, that you're able somehow within yourself to really make sense of it, get to a place where it's not still a really rough, open, open wound. And I, in my travels as as a career coach over 20 years, I've really met such a range of people. I've met some people who maybe something terrible happened to them 30 years ago and 30 years later because they haven't done any kind of processing or grieving or, you know, forgiving or whatever it needs to happen, they still have that real raw um, experience with it. And in some ways it can end up getting in the way of the kinds of things that they want to create. So uh, I think that's one thing is just personally understanding whatever that hard experience was in the case, maybe where it was a bad choice, where it was something that you did that led to a negative outcome, you can take personal responsibility for that and really learn the lesson. And then you can choose to let the other part go. It, it really doesn't help you to be carrying shame and guilt around for a long time. And probably the best resource for anybody who feels that is Brene Brown's wonderful book called Daring Greatly, where she's done so much wonderful work around shame and um, the kind of price that people pay if they carry that over a long period of time. Uh, After that, I think you need to, in the context of being a business owner or being a career professional, you have to always be prepared that if somebody for some reason ends up finding out some part of of your past that, that wasn't so great or wasn't so comfortable, you have a clear story, a truthful, authentic, but clear story as to kind of what you learned from it or in the case that it might raise any kind of issue for them about why they may be concerned about hiring you or something like that, that you're able to really address the issue head on and clearly demonstrate that you've learned something from the lesson. I don't think it needs to be rehashed. I think in some cases, if you don't want to continue talking about you know that to somebody, that you can find out a clear and effective way of being gracious, but in deciding not to keep you know repeating that Um, that issue. And I I think a lot about it in the the context of business, especially in the world of entrepreneurship 
and, and U.S.-based entrepreneurship that it's, much, it's almost celebrated <laughs> if you had a fiasco, if you burned through all your founder's money and you, you, you drove your startup into the <laughs> ground. It seems to be part of the lore of, of the startup world where that's part of what people understand is necessary. Uh, conversely, I've talked to a lot of my friends in Europe and other parts of the world who say that it is not as embraced culturally at all, that it can be you know, not so comfortable to be telling stories about, about downfalls. So you have to know the context in which you're operating. But the truth is we all make mistakes. And I think with a focus and realizing that what you want to do is you want to build, continue to build your body of work in a positive way uh, from today forward, that's where you need to learn a way to make peace with whatever has happened in the past. And don't let it continue to, to jump in and interfere. We had uh, Lewis Schiff on the show, author of Business Brilliant, a few weeks ago, and he talked about the different ways the middle class versus, say, high net worth individuals might view failure. And it seems that the middle class tends to be more apt to associate shame with failure. I know for me personally, I had a, a what I would consider a failure uh, not too long ago in a project I had launched. It didn't go as well as I would like. And for several weeks, I wasn't really comfortable talking about that with anybody. Uh, it just sort of kind of festered. And it wasn't a healthy thing to do, but I, I had to sort of kind of let the sting of that subside after a while before I got to the point where I, I was no longer uh, attaching so much shame to it. Does that make sense? It so makes sense. And, and I have a just a, a working premise that I find is useful in, in today's world where one of the, com, the nature of, of how it is that we communicate today is we're sharing so much more on social media. And, and probably you have friends, I know I do, who just seem to narrate and share every single thing as it is happening, right? Mm. And sometimes when you're in the middle of the painful, hard, difficult mistake experience, right, failure – then it's really not helpful to you often, and it's often not helpful to um, to your community or your audience. And I'm, I'm not talking about your dear close friends, right, or your family or your mom or whoever it is that you call when you really just need to share the rawness of what's going on in that moment. But for everybody else, I find the more useful time, you have to allow yourself the time to really process it and come to peace with it yourself. And then you can look back and you can choose if you want to share lessons that you gain from that. Uh, a friend of mine was in, in a super fast growth company uh, doing exceptionally well, was on every list you know, known about being great in business. And then uh, it was a combination of just you know, bad business strategy, bad leadership deci- decisions, and an economic time where everything really crashed. This was early in the, it was actually in the late 90s that the company went from being you know, massively successful to being bankrupt in a very short period of time. And he talked about how painful that was to go through. Um, and for a long time, he did feel that shame in talking about it. But actually, it really drove this entire next stage of his own body of work, which made him t- just totally curious about figuring out why that happened, right? Where were those critical mistakes that happened um, in the decisions from leadership? And it was a leadership team, so it wasn't just him. But it really drove an amazing um, awareness and understanding. And now he's reconciled enough with it that it's actually a very powerful and important story. But it's very different, right, than when you're right in the middle of the fiasco (laughs) and you're not even sure what the lessons are Mm. if you begin to share it with everybody. And I see that nuance difference between some people who want to be, and I use air quotes right now, they want to be authentic, right, and be truthful with their their community and, and often with their social media audience 
But I think there's a difference. You can be truthful, but we also have private moments, right? The privacy is okay. It's okay to not be sharing every single component of your life where it's relevant to your work and where you're ready once you go through a difficult time to share something that would be useful, then you really get to set the terms for for doing that. In the chapter on choosing your work mode, there's uh, one particular concept I keyed in on. It's a simple but effective loathing scale, Pamela calls it. I was wondering, Pamela, if you could share a bit about how you use that to help those who are thinking about leaving their traditional job to start a business or, or to branch out on their own. Yeah, the loathing scale is when I, I came up with that metaphor when I was coaching somebody one day and I was trying to assess where they were. Um, emotionally in terms of how difficult it was to be in their current work situation. So I said, imagine that there is a scale from one to 10 and one is you love your job. You look forward to it. You know, it's great. You really enjoy it. And 10 is you feel physically ill when you even think about going into work. And I said, you know, tell me like, where are you on the loathing scale? So where somebody would say something like a four or a five then I knew that they probably had, you know, some time to really be able to um, work on their plans. And, you know, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't optimal, but it wasn't terrible. If somebody started to talk about being in the seven to 10 range, that's where I knew that something bad was going to happen. (laughs) Usually that's where your performance really suffers. It's where you can make poor decisions. It's where people just say, you know, take this job and shove it and make a huge declaration and, and, you know, go out or uh, end up having really severe health issues. And that actually is a concern. And it's not just for people in the corporate world. It can be for extremely stressed out business owners as well, right? Where you realize that they're just being eaten alive. And in that case, there can be interim measures that you can take. Um, if you're in a job that's just absolutely make, makes you miserable, then you could look at an alternative. If you don't yet, you're not independently wealthy or you don't have a business up and running, you could choose to take a job in the interim. That would be um, better for you, that would would feel more comfortable so that then you could be more thoughtful in your process of what it is that you want to develop. Uh, In my first book, An Escape from Cubicle Nation, I, I said, hating your job intensely is not a business plan. And that's how, unfortunately, many people think about starting a business. It's with a very optimistic, um, very oftentimes very unrealistic idea about how starting your own business will solve all of your problems. And in fact, it does not at all. Um, It can be great in the right circumstances, but it's a huge amount of work in order to launch and sustain a successful business. But back in 2010, I started uh, what I would call a sort of a side hustle business. I think you use that term in the book, too. Just in the margins of life, uh, something I was doing that I enjoyed and, and to, to earn a little bit of extra money. And it was just fun. And what I didn't know when I started it in 2010 was that in 2013, it would become critical to my survival. And there's no, no question there. I just I, I guess that's my way of just sort of uh, trying to emphasize just how important the concepts you, you share in your book are. Well, you know, it's the the kind of thing, as I said before, I never wish anybody to go through the experience of losing their job when they don't want to, right? I mean, there are plenty of places where things are going really well and you enjoy it and you like your coworkers and, you know, you want to be there. The dangerous thing to me is um, when you assume that everything is going to continue, you know, as it is. And that's why I love that example. I mean, I'm so sorry for the experience, because it's so hard to go through. 
Um, and more and more people are going through that experience every day because of the changing nature of organizations. But what you saw is, yes, all of a sudden you had something to hold you, right? You had experience doing it. You had something that was already established, which doesn't mean that's what you have to do for the rest of your life, right? You could right. choose to, you could love it, move into it and decide you want to do that for this next stage of your body of work. However, um, a lot of people, I think, um, are just completely dependent upon their one work mode. And that's actually one of the drivers that led me to write Body of Work. As I said, my first book, Escape from Cubicle Nation, was really written for a subset of people within a corporate environment who really felt like they didn't want to be there long term. There are many people who want to be in that setting and it works well for them. For those that wanted to leave, then I wanted to help them provide very specific information that would be that people could relate to that had grown up in a corporate environment. But I, what I found over you know, eight or nine years of working with a lot of people on that early stage entrepreneurship is that people did have a very black and white view of you know, corporate's bad and entrepreneurship is good and there's only you, know, you have to choose between one or the other. Where what I see much more realistically um, in the new world of work is that people are going to be moving between and among different uh, work modes throughout the course of their career. And, and I think this whole idea of making yourself indispensable and having the kinds of skills that allow you to be flexible, being proactive and mitigating risk for instability by knowing different options of what you could do, right? Being connected with different kinds of communities so that if you are in a state where you need to get some work, you don't only know your buddies from your, your corporate job, right? Who aren't going to have connections to other kinds of areas to get more work. And for me, early last year, I had begun talking with my wife about leaving my job and, and branching out onto my own. And so when I was pushed out of the nest a little early, thankfully, I was psychologically ready for that because I had already been I've been contemplating that. And I think one of the reasons why I dealt with that as well as I did is because I had gotten around the fear of being out on my own and, and working for myself. And I love the metaphor you use in the book, surfing the fear, I think is, is, is the phrase you use. And how does that differ from my friend John Acuff's book, Start, you know, Punch Fear in the Face, I think is the, the subtitle of that book. How would you compare and contrast that with surfing the fear? Uh, as a martial artist, right? You know, I, I understand the, the the punching fear in the face. As a as a coach, um, what I do know to be true is that um, in any kind of change that you're making, in fact, just in life itself, there are so many challenges that are going to come your way, and they can be health challenges, personal challenges, challenges at work, and. What I really have experienced, because I feel like that's just been such a theme of. Um, a certain kind of you know situation that many of my clients have lived through, how they can handle the fear and doubt. They they go to write a book and they you know question themselves and wonder if they're any good, and they get afraid of quitting their job and they're afraid of staying and all these things. Fear can be so overwhelming and so overpowering that if you try to dominate it, it does feel like that gigantic wave. That <laughs> it's just it's too powerful to try to crush and dominate. And uh, in fact. Fear is really a protective force that is something that is really intended for us humans to uh, be safe and to stay protected. It's always flashing these signals of, you know, are, do you have enough to eat or somebody's going to come get you? And, 
and you're not, you don't have enough to eat. And those kinds of instincts that are driven by fear are actually what allow us to survive. I know as a martial artist that trusting your natural instinct about a situation that where you can feel some fear, you know, walking down a dark street or stepping into an elevator where you feel uneasy about it or those kinds of things where you learn to really trust your instinct and work with it, it can be an extremely supportive force. So what I mean by surfing the fear is you're not trying to crush it. You're not trying to deny that you feel afraid, but you say, you know, I'm feeling really afraid right now. So I'm going to do some concrete things to help me manage that. I'm going to sit down on my Pilates ball, you know, and bounce for 15 (laughs) minutes with my feet flat on the floor, which actually reorganizes your entire uh, neurological system and calms you down and, and, you know, and gives your body dopamine so that you feel better. You know, you can go take a walk. You can talk to somebody who can coach you through a situation. These are ways of not trying to just dominate fear. And, and I found that very few people, um, have that, you know, that kind of approach, that tolerance for risk to where they feel like they can just, you know, look the wave in the eye and just, you know, go charging through it and be smashed around in, in the water. I mean, some people are by, like that by nature, and that's a particular kind of personality profile um, for which that kind of punch fear in the face strategy can work really well. For somebody else that has a different risk tolerance, that would actually be, I think, not good advice. Mm. I wanted to ask you some questions not directly related to the book, Pamela, but before I jump into those, I want to ask if there's anything else about the book that I haven't asked about that you want to make sure we walk away with. You know, I think for body of work, I I do uh, keep coming around to, you know, the skills that that we need to feel really indispensable. But my, my wish for the book is that as people read it and they really do the exercises and take the message seriously is that we feel better, that we feel better about ourselves. We feel more indispensable, but that we also really get excited about building things that have meaning together. And probably one of my greatest interests and the thing that drives me in my work is in really looking at, at community-based economic development, right? The more healthy that we are in all sectors of our economy, the more healthy we're going to be as a society, as a nation, as a world, right? That that's really what's driving it is I think it's much more exciting instead of sitting back and worrying about, oh, my God, oh, my God, can I provide for my family, that we start to get excited about creating things that matter, that we start to expand our networks and work together. And one of the things I found um, being relatively new here to the Phoenix, Arizona area, now I've been here about 10 years, but I was born and raised in California in the Bay Area and had a big network there. Coming into the Phoenix um, community, I was so impressed by looking at a lot of the things that we've done as a community to work together. We have laid off camp where a lot of people from all sectors of the community came together to volunteer their services to be helping people who were laid off to get back to work. And that was restaurants donating food, resume writers donating, you know, me as a speaker came in to talk to people about starting a business. And those kinds of initiatives, I think, are things that are very, very exciting Um, We often get overwhelmed by negative news about what's going on. And I think it's because we're still looking back, wishing the world were the way that it used to be (laughs) instead of embracing the way that it is and really, you know, acting in a different way. So we see the opportunities for positive change. I know you do a fair amount of of public speaking. And a question uh, the the last several months I've begun asking each guest is is along those lines. It's a topic that's come up again and again on the show. And, you know, this idea that your success in, in large part hinges on your ability to effectively share your ideas in public. 
what is your approach, uh, Pamela, to, to public speaking? What's your goal when you prepare a public talk? My goal is first to share something that's going to be relevant and useful and inspiring for my audience. So whenever I think about speaking at a new event, I want to think about who's really going to be in the audience, uh, depending upon the, the nature of the event nowadays Often you have the audience there that's live, and then because many are videotaped, there are people who might be watching it afterward. Mm. If you can think of, I'm doing a TEDx talk in Fargo, North Dakota, um, this month, and that's an example, right, where I'm thinking about not just the people who are there, but also who are people that are going to be watching it. And I try to really immerse myself in what are they concerned about, how can I be helpful, and because of the nature of my own roots, because of what I care about, which is inspiring people to take action and feel hope where they may feel scared about the future and about their own career. I really try to weave in stories that are going to be, again, that balance of being practical and pragmatic and also being inspirational. In addition to all that you're involved in, writing and speaking and coaching, you're a wife and a mom and Uh, You've had the opportunity to impact a lot of people with your work. So at the end of the day, I want to ask, what do you hope uh, your legacy to be? My legacy, I think, is that through my work and through the ideas that I share through my body of work, the side of the tangible components, right? My blog, my books, uh, general writing that I have and interaction with people is that people felt inspired and equipped to be doing work that they really enjoy, and to be fully employable and employed, right? (laughs) So whether they're in a job or whether they're working for themselves, that's probably the biggest joy that I've gotten from the work that I've done with clients. When I worked inside companies, it was really seeing when people learned how to more effectively run their organization, it made their quality of life so much better and that of their employees and that of their company in general. The same is true, I think, for the entrepreneurs that I worked with. And I think on the personal side of just how it is that I want to be remembered um, in my own legacy as a parent and as a community member is in somebody that passionately loved and cared for people. You know, I I really try to um, demonstrate for my kids and about the importance of kindness. Uh, We were just the other day, we were out with a bunch of kids in the park and there was a little bird that was looked a little bit, you know, was limping along. And one of the kids was trying to like chase after this poor little injured bird. You know, I said, (laughs) wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, had a little teaching moment of actually, you know, we need to be kind if somebody's hurt, you know, we need to be kind. And I think that um, little things like that, just putting a little bit more kindness and love and generosity into the world is is really what I hope for uh, in terms of my personal impact. The Read to Lead podcast, Pamela, is based on the belief that intentional and consistent reading is key to success in business and in life. And I was wondering if you could name for us a couple of books you've read or are maybe currently reading that have had an impact on you and and maybe share how or why they impacted you as they did. Yeah, a few of the books that I I love that I always keep on my desk, uh, one is called If You Want to Write a book about art, independence, and spirit by Brenda Uland, U-E-L-A-N-D. It's actually written in, I think, 1936, but it's an amazing book. It is about writing, and I am a writer, but it's also about so much more. It's just a lovely uh, book by Brenda Uland, who was a a writing teacher. Um, Another one, not surprisingly, is a book about writing, which is Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, who is a hysterical, wonderful writer. And yes, it is about writing. It was very helpful when writing my books, but it's also, I think, 
I love the way that she addresses the kind of fear and consternation that we have when we're creating anything. Everything that she describes about the craziness of the writing project process is similar when we're doing any kind of creative activity. Um, and then, you know, another one that's just been kind of a staple that's just a useful, effective way of thinking about things is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, R-U-I-Z. Simple book that I read, I don't know, many years ago. But I found that sometimes there, you know, he talks about four basic agreements. It's based on Toltec wisdom about ways to live your life. And one of them, as a little example, is just don't take things personally. And as you're walking through your life and if you have, you know, somebody writes a horrible Amazon review or a boss, you know, screams at you in the middle of a meeting, I've just found sometimes that the simple lessons that are covered in that book are things that I continually go back and reference. So that's another one. These are books I've had for a long time. I get so many books that I read all the time. Uh, being a blogger and a, somebody who talks about business, um, I'm trying to think of, I don't really have a favorite that's jumping to mind right now, but there's a lot of great books always coming out, that's for sure. Yeah, doing what I do, uh, you know, there's a lot of books that end up in the mail and I get one about every day. And it, sometimes it's a blessing, sometimes it can be a curse. <laughs> that's right. You know, it's like taking the time to really get to know a book, I think is really important. One that I'm digging into a lot because I'm doing a lot of work with her is Susan Cain's book, Quiet. Mm about the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. And that's been hugely impactful. And it's a really enjoyable part of the work that I'm doing is helping her to develop her body of work. I'm curious to know, finally, what's next for you, Pamela? What projects are you working on and excited about that you can share with us? Um, One is I am doing, as I said, I'm doing a lot of work with Susan, with Susan Kane, and she has a great team working what she calls the quiet revolution. So I've been helping to really grow that business starting last July and working on what's called the Quiet Leadership Institute, which is bringing some of the tools and skills to leaders and organizations to help more effectively harness the natural power of introverts. And uh, even though I personally am a raging extrovert, (laughs) my husband's an introvert and my entire family, my mom, dad, sister, and brother. So I really have a great passion for supporting the natural strengths of introverts in an extrovert biased world. So that's a really fun project. Uh, for which I'll be doing a lot of things. And then on my own side of my business for body of work, um, I've been developing a course that can really be a companion for the book. So for people who get excited by the ideas, who want to really be building those skills, I've been um, working on and will be launching in the fall, a course that's really a companion for the book to help really help, help people to develop these skills so that they really don't have to feel scared. And if they're in that situation, God forbid, that you found yourself in where you were laid off from a company that you really enjoyed, you can be okay about it and you can have other opportunities right around the corner. I'll be sure to stay in touch. So as that unfolds, we can let listeners know about it as well. would love to love to help out any way I can. Pamela, thank you so much for, for taking time to be on the show with us today. I really, really appreciate it. I'm enjoying the book very, very much, and my wife has tried to snatch it from my greedy little hand several <laughs> times, but she's got to wait till I'm done with it. But thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Her book, again, is Body of Work, Finding the Thread That Ties Your Story Together. You'll find a link to it in the show notes for this episode, readtoleadpodcast.com slash 050 for episode 50. If you'd like to network with Pamela, one of the best ways to do that is on Twitter. She's Pam Slim on Twitter. That's at Pam Slim 
on Twitter. And the Read to Lead podcast, remember, makes a great conversation starter. In addition to the book, everything else you'd like to know about Pam, plus the resources and links we talked about can be found at the show notes page created for this episode. Again, you'll find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 050. Check out readtoleadpodcast.com slash Blinkist for that free three-day trial of Blinkist. And when you're ready, use the discount code READ to lead all one word, for 20% off an annual subscription to Blinkist. I realized over the weekend I have been so bad about checking ratings and reviews from countries outside uh, North America. I've checked ratings and reviews in the U.S. and mentioned all folks who've left a five-star rating and review on the show, so far as I know, those in Canada as well, uh, but nowhere else. So I took the liberty to check out the U.K., and we've got several folks chiming in from there over the last few months with a five-star rating and review. Folks like Babion or Babione23, I'm not sure which, an uplifting quality way to spend your drive time. Thank you very much. Also, Vic Star with an inspiring five-star rating. A quick sad says it's inspiring and motivating. And my friend Peter Billingham says excellent quality and informative content on leadership. If you've left a rating and review in iTunes and you're in a country other than the U.S. or Canada or the U.K., shoot me an email if you'd like for me to mention yours on the podcast. Jeff at Read to Lead Podcast. And thank you to the folks leaving a rating and review on Stitcher. David Hooper says it's one of the best entrepreneur and business podcasts. Thank you, David. Taylor White says, I am loving this podcast. Wow. I was recommended your podcast, Jeff, from John Lee Dumas at Entrepreneur on Fire. And I'm digging each episode you guys are putting out and can't wait for the next one. Thank you very much, Taylor. We appreciate that. To leave a rating and review on Stitcher, go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. If it's a five-star rating and review, I'll mention it here on the show. And to leave a rating and review in iTunes, readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes. Well, that will do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for episode 51 of the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com and chat with other members at facebook.com slash readtoleadnation. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. me but you make me so happy I tried to call you before but I lost my nerve I tried my imagination but I was disturbed Jenny I got your number I need to make you mine Jenny, don't change your number. 8675309. 8675309. 8675309. 8675309.